Hey, well, good morning, church. Oh, this is a big crowd. You guys can do better than that. Good morning, church. All right, that's awesome. Hey, so a few weeks ago, I got a chance to go to Illinois, and I was the uh, evangelist at a week of church camp, and it was great. I got to preach a lot, and I got to have these awesome one-on-one conversations with so many people. And in those conversations, I talked to people who were wrestling with their faith. I, I talked to people who were recognizing a need to, to make some changes in their life. I talked to people who were just wrestling with the choice of whether or not to follow Jesus. And I, re- I talked to people who were dealing with a lot of hard times in their lives. As I look around the room, I think, well, that sounds a lot like a lot of us. And throughout that course of that week of spending that time there, I learned some amazing stories as I did life with campers of all ages and all stages of life. And during that week, I was able to actually uh, baptize nine of those campers and be a part of a couple of baptisms of a couple of others. And, and it was neat and it was fun. And every single person who I talked to, everybody I got to know, their stories were individual and their stories were unique. Uh, but for two of the girls who I got the chance to baptize, their story stands apart as it, it involves them moving from the Congo seven years before. That's them standing with my mom right before their baptism. Um, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be four years old and six years old. They lived in the largest city in Congo, the capital city, over 15 million people. And from there, it was New York City, and most of us think New York City is huge. But from New York City, it was Connecticut. Then after Connecticut, it was Rushville, Illinois, this little town in the middle of nowhere, population less than 3,000. But for my friends, for Mikhailie and our change, Mikhailie's the tall one, our change is the, the short one. For Mikhailie and our change, that was their story. And they ended up in the United States as foreigners, as strangers and as aliens. And I'll get back to their story in just a moment. But we are starting a new series today here at Fork, and it's a teaching series where over the next few weeks, we're going to be diving into the book of 1 Peter. Now, 1 Peter, uh, unlike the book of Luke, which we just finished up, Peter's just five chapters long. And it's not going to be an exhaustive verse-by-verse study, so I encourage you, I invite you, dig in along with us. Read along through the weeks. Dig in yourselves. Learn a little bit about the book of 1 Peter as you read along, because we're not going to touch on or hit every single verse. But we're, char- we're, we're calling this new series, this new teaching series, we're calling it Living Hope. Living Hope. And it comes from some of the introductory verses of the letter, which I'll be reading from the New International Version of the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 starts out like this. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Let's pray as we think about those words. Jesus Peter really sets us up for those things that he's going to talk about as he writes to his friends, as he writes to those people who are dear to his heart, and as he proclaims to them the reminder of the new birth we have through you, Jesus Christ and the new living hope that should accompany that. So no matter where we are as we came in this morning, no matter where we stand in our relationship with you, I pray, God, that we would leave this place with our hope renewed, with our faith strengthened, with our life changed. In Jesus' name we pray, 
Amen. So Peter said, in his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. Living hope. We probably don't put those two words together in a sentence very often. So let's be clear. This is not the Amazon wish list kind of hope. This is not the hope that says, I hope I get a pony for my birthday. This is not the kind of hope that says, I hope that it doesn't rain on our picnic. Or the kind of hope that says, I hope that the O's make it to the playoffs sometime. It's not that kind of a hope, right? It's not that kind of hope. It's not a rally cap, finger crossing kind of hope, right? This hope that we read about over and over again in the scripture is the anxious expectation that what God has promised will indeed come to pass. John Piper put it this way. He says, ordinarily, when we express hope, we're expressing uncertainty. But this is not the distinctive biblical meaning of hope. Biblical hope is not just a desire for something good in the future, but rather biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Those things that God has promised us. So let me read Peter's words again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Man, if those verses were tacked on my wall, if they were, you know, plastered on my mirror, if they were, you know, tattooed on my arm, I would read those over and over again. I'm like, man, that sounds fantastic. Those words are amazing, aren't they? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we experience his mercy. We've been born again and we have a living hope. But honestly, though, when I look around at this world and when I look around at the church and I look around at the lives of individual people, there seem to be a lot of folks whose hope doesn't look anything like it's living. You see, a living hope is active and it's moving and it's affecting and it's impacting not just the person who has it, but it's making a difference in the lives of everyone around them. Before we dive further into the text, I wonder this morning, is your hope alive today? I mean, has the weight of the world, have the altering of your routines, have the fear and the uncertainty of the unfamiliar and the unknown? I mean, think about it. Though you've received God's mercy, though you've been born again, is it possible that your hope is flatlined? or is at least in need of major reconstruction and overhaul? Have the cares of life sought to choke out your living hope? And my prayer is, is that if we study together through the book of 1 Peter, that we will not just be reminded of the hope that we have received through Christ Jesus, but that our hope will receive a resurrection to new life. So Peter, the apostle, wrote this book, 1 and 2 Peter. There's a couple of them, but we're just going through the book of 1. 
right? He was one of the closest followers of Jesus. He was one handpicked by Jesus to become one of his disciples, one of his followers, one of his kind of apprentice guys, right? One of those guys Jesus was training to take on his ministry after, his, after he left, right? To take his teaching, his good news to the entire world. That was the goal for Peter. Now, you might be familiar with Peter's story and Even if you're not super familiar with it, probably the one thing that stands out about Peter is his worst moment of his life. And that was when Jesus had been arrested and he had been being placed on trial. And Peter stood in the courtyard and not just once, not just twice, but three times he denied that he even knew who Jesus was, just as Jesus had predicted. See, Peter was a man who certainly understood what it was like to lose one's hope. In fact, It literally died right out from under him. But Jesus, just like he does for you and just like he does for me, he restored Peter. He wasn't done with him. He used him and Peter became one of the most influential leaders of the early church, carrying out the very things that Jesus had called him to be and called him to do. Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And let me just pause here for a moment because as we read through the book of 1 Peter, depending on what Bible version you're reading from, you'll hear Peter referring to his audience as temporary residents and strangers, foreigners and sojourners, pilgrims and aliens. Back to my friends, Michaela and our change and their family. They were strangers. They were aliens. They were foreigners in this land. When they moved from the Congo, though, theirs was a pursuit of a better way of life. But when we read about these people to whom Peter is writing, we realize that they were scattered and in exile. They were not there because they simply packed up their belongings in a U-Haul and they relocated for a better way of life. No, they were living in a place that was not their home because they were fleeing for their very lives. We read in the early church history, the book of Acts, chapter 8, there was some persecution going on that day. He says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria Three chapters later, in Acts 11, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. And some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. You see, Peter was not writing simply to people who were out looking for a better way of life, although I'm sure these scattered believers were doing just that. But see, in a very physical sense, it was clear that Peter was writing to those who were seeking to save their lives, to get out of Dodge before they lost their lives. But I think that there is a spiritual sense, and we can figure out who he's speaking to as well. I believe that we can gather as we read this, it's speaking to them. Peter was speaking to people who were believers, who were followers after Jesus. Them, And he was reminding them that their earthly home, that no matter what piece of real estate they found themselves in, no matter what state or country, that they were there just temporary. 
Peter reminded his listeners that spiritually, this world is not your home. That earth and all of its troubles and all of its trials and all of its temptations, they're simply temporary. We weren't created for this place. We weren't created for this life. We were created for a life beyond. One with no sickness, no sorrow, no pain, no sin. And I wonder if one of the messages that Peter might have for you and me today is that we need to be reminded that this place isn't home. I wonder, though we have received God's mercy, though we've been born again, as we pursue this life of living hope, are we living as if this is home? Are we living like this is all there is? Are we living like the sum and substance of all of our joy and satisfaction in this life comes from or is based on ease or success in what we strive to do? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ, sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us, given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse six, in all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, they may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Listen, in this letter, Peter is seeking to remind us of the resurrection and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that not only do we have confidence in a new life, not only do we have confidence of a new hope, but that we can live boldly and we can live joyfully, even in the midst of the trials of life, recognizing full well that this is not our permanent home. Throughout the past couple of weeks, as I've been preparing for this teaching, over and over and over and over again, I've been finding myself in conversations with people who the trials of life are just wearing them down. They're just wearing them out. And I've spoken to people with medical issues, and I've had long conversations with people who have recently lost loved ones. And I know if people are struggling with their housing situation and with their job employment and maybe today you've walked in today and maybe you're feeling just like that, just feeling like the burdens of life. Maybe you're feeling the burdens of your trials. 
Listen as Peter reminds us of the hope. From the New Living Translation, I'm going to read a couple of those verses, starting at verse 6. It says, so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. See, sometimes when we look at our own lives, it becomes all too easy to be overwhelmed by the stack of little things. Right, we can find all the little things that are wrong with life. Now, I don't want to make light of or downplay some of the serious things that many people are going through, right? I never want to, never want to belittle or make light of somebody's, you know, really serious plight, right? I, I always want to be one to show empathy and sympathy and compassion to those who need it and offer help any place that I can to help people move through those trials. But I think as believers, though, we need to be reminded, as did Peter's listeners, that even though we have to endure many trials, suffer grief, that we can still live in hope, that we can still find joy, and that through our trials, our faith is going to increase. Remember those believers that Peter was writing to, they were getting persecuted for their faith. They were living in a place that was not their own. They were living apart from family and friends, not because they chased a career, not because they got deployed by the military, not because they had allergies and they had to find a new climate, but because of persecution. And my guess is their persecution that they had endured was far worse than any persecution that we've ever experienced. And we'll talk about persecution another time, another week during this sermon series. But right now, I want to remind you that Peter, in the opening verse of his letter, he says that because of the resurrection, friends, I want to remind you that you have been chosen. You've been offered peace. You've been given grace, a new life, a living hope, and the promise of an unfading and unfailing inheritance. And he wants to remind his listeners that in the midst of the messy stuff of life, that they can strengthen their faith and they can hang on tightly to their joy. And this morning, I think Peter wants to remind us that so can you and so can I. See, I think that in the tumultuous seasons of life in which many of us find ourselves, we need to hear and we need to hang tightly onto these words from Peter. And while it's true, we're living in troubled times, and man, we could make lists, right? We need to remember that our time here is short, that we're simply on a journey to a destination of a better place. It gets better after the grave. And in times of uncertainty, we need to recognize that our situation, no matter how immediately inconvenient or how immediately frustrating, that it is temporary, it will have an end. And we need to recognize that when Peter writes, he writes with experience. He writes as a man who has lost his hope, whose hope has died. And he's writing to a people whose circumstances are much worse than ours, who could very easily lose their hope as well. And he reminds them, and he reminds us that there is a reason to still have joy. Peter was arrested three different times, yet he lived a life of, oh, for following Jesus, by the way, for, but he lived a life of genuine faith, a life of abundant joy, of living hope, 
And he went to his grave with this unwavering expectation that the inheritance kept in heaven is there for him, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And when we read through this text, we can recognize that when we experience our trials and our tests and our tribulations, it's not because we're getting persecuted. We're just experiencing hardship. We're just experiencing some moments We're not experienced usually an attack on our faith or because of our faith. We're just faith-filled people experiencing the troubles of life. The stuff that comes with being imperfect humans living in an imperfect world. Jesus said we would have it. He said, in this world you'll have troubles, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I wonder if we were to sit here this morning and instead of filling out, you know, encouragement cards for Josh and Julie, we would make some lists of our troubles. You know, I bet our list would be long. You'd be out there asking for some more cards to fill in, right? There are a lot of things that we are going through. In fact, I just thought for for grins, I would make a quick little list of some of my just little minor inconveniences, my annoyances of this past week, right? Nothing major, but Monday I got my second shingles vaccine. It hurt like crazy, Tuesday, I was doing a service project, and I got tagged in the thigh by a wasp. Okay, not fun. Um, On my motorcycle this week, I got cut off by a car, like really, really close cut off by a car. I did not make any bad gestures. I didn't call him any bad names. Just hit the brakes and kept on going, right? Um, I just went to go buy a part for my car this week, and it wasn't in stock, right? A little frustration. Uh, Had some yellow jackets living in the foundation of my house. I think I got rid of them finally. Uh, I like to run, but I've got plantar fasciitis. This week, it got aggravated. It made it difficult to go do the things I like to do. We were house-sitting, or dog-sitting, not house-sitting. We were dog-sitting, my oldest son's dog and cat. Um, my wife has a dog. Its name is Piper. Piper's not allowed on the furniture. But Zach's dog, Tabor, thought the furniture was absolutely fine. So twice, I walked in the house, and there is Tabor, the old senile dog, sitting on our couch, right? Not acceptable. Not in my house, anyway. And that's not the worst of it. One of my favorite pastors is moving to Indiana. What the world? You see, when our little trials mount up, we can easily forget about our faith and the one who saved us. We can easily give in and allow our trials to occupy our headspace, to consume our time, to rob us of our energy. We can easily allow that list of negative things to take away our living hope that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, we can allow our trials to become Lord over us when we should be allowing Jesus to be Lord over our trials. See, Jesus wants to be Lord over every part of our life, including our trials. I want you to think about your recent trials. Think about the things that you are going through, the ones who have sought to control you, to occupy you, to steal your faith, to kill your hope, to rob your joy. Maybe it was just as simple as overcooking the steak. Maybe it was you were baking a cake and you slammed the oven door and that cake just fell, right? Maybe you had everything sat out for dinner and then you knocked a glass over and it broke and you didn't know where the pieces went. So the entire dinner was ruined. Or maybe it's a little more extreme. Maybe it was not getting that promotion, that job that you thought you were just a shoe in for. Or maybe it's because you put a contract on a house and it fell through. There's a lot of things that can wear us down and wear us out. Maybe it's ongoing medical issues. 
Maybe it's problems with your marriage. Problems with the adoption. Problems with the pregnancy. Man, it's hard to miss if we just look back a few months, the problems we've encountered with this thing called COVID and this thing called politics. Peter said that because of the resurrection, we not only have new life, we can live boldly in the midst of whatever trial we're going through. And I wonder what trial that is for you. You fill in the blank. You check the box. What trial is it that you're going through? I want to remind you that no trial that you are enduring is greater than God's plan for your life. There is no trial that you're enduring right now that is greater than God's plan for your life. And you might be thinking at this point, man, Virgil, that sounds good. And what Peter has to say sounds good, but I need a little more confirmation than that. Well, how about this? James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote these words. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Or how about the words of the apostle Paul? Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, who became a believer in Jesus Christ. Paul, who was shipwrecked, stoned, thrown in jail, like all kinds of bad stuff. Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I think that Peter and James and Paul, they can remind us that when we follow after Jesus, those hopeless situations don't define us. They simply refine us. And the refining process is the way that we remove impurities and junk that doesn't need to be there out of our lives. And listen, nobody likes that refining part. No one likes to be tested. No one likes to endure hardship. No one likes to go through suffering. But friends, if we're following after Jesus, we are called to it and we will become better for it. We'll be better for it. So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. We need to be reminded that our situations don't define us. They remind us. They help us to remember who we are and whose we are. I read an article this week. Three-time Olympian Lola Jones was competing in the 100-meter hurdle in the finals in the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. Just seconds away from winning the gold, Jones clipped the second to the last hurdle, dropping to seventh place. As millions watched, the athlete fell to the ground in a puddle of tears. But in that devastating moment, Jones heard God whisper three simple words, but you're here. These three words she told the Christian Post in an interview were life-changing. She said, at that moment, God reminded me, this will try to break you, but you're still here. 
You are still standing. That completely shifted my perspective. She goes on to say that losing an Olympic gold medal is the worst thing that could happen to an Olympic athlete. But those words gave me an instant change in my attitude to one of gratitude. Even in the storm, even in the battles, God reminds me of his faithfulness and provision. She did not give up. She continued to pursue her dreams. And she's, in fact, training to be on the bobsledding team for the Beijing Games in 2022. But win or lose, Lolo says that she has learned, sometimes the hard way, that her identity doesn't lie in her accomplishments, but simply in being a child of God. She says, I have to think, okay, what happens if I end my career and I'm never an Olympic medalist. Am I going to be bitter at God because of that? Or am I just going to praise him and thank him for the opportunities and blessings I've had along the way? Man, that was a great read. Great challenge. You see, our situations remind us that you and I, we're simply not in control. And if we could be in control, if we could control our own lives, there's really no need for a savior. There's really no need for Jesus Christ. But thank God that he came for us. Thank God that Jesus came to give us new life, to give us a living hope, to help us to live boldly, even in the midst of trials, to live joyfully, even in the midst of troubles, as we recognize that this place is not our home. Let's pray. God, for a bunch of aliens and strangers and sojourners and pilgrimers and travelers who are just passing through. Thank you that you are here with us. Thank you that you don't leave us or abandon us. Thank you that even in the midst of the trials and the troubles, which just seem to stack up and weigh us down and burden us and distract us, keep us from chasing after you, help us to realize that if we surrender those things to you, let you be Lord over them, that you will help our hope to live that you will help our joy to increase, that you will help our faith to grow. And I pray that as we deepen our relationship with you, that as people see the change in our life as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that they too will want that hope. And I pray that if we came in today and our hope is flatlined, or if our hope is in need of resurrection, that we will experience that today as we place and replace our trust in your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.